Harry Randall Truman was born in Ivydale, West Virginia, October the 30th, 1896. Not to be confused with Harry S. Truman, the 33rd President of the United States, this Harry Truman enlisted in the Army during World War I. Part of the Army's uh, um, moving him about, he uh, was aboard the SS Tuscania when it was attacked by German U-boats and torpedoed. That day, 210 people lost their lives, but Harry R. Truman was not among them. He survived that attack, went on to serve two, another year, two years in all, during the war to end all wars. He was what you would call a survivor. And he returned to the States following his uh, enlistment time and decided to move to the Great West, moved to the state of Washington. And uh, in 1926, Harry Truman... Harry R. Truman, took a job as a caretaker of a lodge near Spirit Lake at the foot of Mount St. Helens in Washington, where he lived for the next 54 years. And then, perhaps you know, that in May of 1980, geologists and public safety officials were warning of a major explosion at Mount St. Helens. And so they evacuated all the people surrounding communities. Harry R. Truman would not be moved. He said, oh, this is just a bunch of media hype. That mountain's not going to blow. And besides, if the mountain goes, I'm going with it. They have not recovered yet. Harry R. Truman's body below 150 foot of ash as the volcano did in fact erupt and him still living in his lodge. I wonder what you would do. <laughs> what would you do if geologists told you you know, you're living near a volcano and it's getting ready to erupt. I mean, would you be like the first ones to evacuate or would you be like uh, Mr. Truman and, and I'm going to wait it out and see what happens? By the way, if it's the latter, um, don't call for a pastoral visit during those weeks, okay? Because uh, you probably won't get one. What if, um, what if Mr. Truman were to have evacuated and stuck a sign out in the front yard of his lodge, for sale by owner. Um, do you suppose anybody would think, you know, that's a good idea. I think, uh, I think maybe we can get this pretty cheap. I'm going to move on this before, before the market changes. I mean, do you think you would laugh at him? Or would you just shake your head in bewilderment? What, what are you doing? I mean, wh why are you not moving? In the Old Testament uh, this morning, the book of Jeremiah... We have this message from what many of you know is the weeping prophet. Jeremiah has a great job. God calls him to, if you read the early part of the book, I'm going to make you a messenger of doom and destruction and everybody's going to hate you for it. And Jeremiah says, oh, gee, God, thank you so much. Um, this is what I've always wanted. I actually had sent in my resume just last week. No, he doesn't say that at all, does he? He rejects this. No, this is ridiculous. I don't want to, Lord. I'm not ready for this. But he eventually does what God has called him to do. And for the better part of 30 chapters in this book, he tells Jer Jerusalem and Judah, God is going to destroy you because of your sin. Repent. Turn. Don't keep living like this. Come back. Don't do what you're doing. Repent of your sin and God will save you. But if you do not, destruction is coming upon you. Well, as you could imagine, at first, everything seemed like that was as far from the truth as possible. 
The nation was strong politically, had a strong military, had made alliances with all their neighbors. It looked like it was ridiculous until at first they laughed at him. And then those alliances began to crumble. And the nation of Babylon began to become stronger and stronger and began to uh, gobble up uh, smaller countries and, and tribes around Jerusalem. And while they laughed at, at Jeremiah at first, soon the people began to hate him, and especially the leaders, those in, in, in government and power. And so they would often throw Jeremiah into prison. Sometimes they would even tie ropes around his body and lower him into a dungeon so that he could experience the worst parts of being in prison. All because he was proclaiming the word of the Lord. Well, Jeremiah just kept on saying the same thing. The Babylonians are coming and they are going to be the rod of God's wrath against Jerusalem. And you know what's going to happen when the Babylonians come? He tells them, your wealth is going to be taken away. Your homes are going to be taken away. The temple, the very symbol of God's presence in the midst of the community, is going to be destroyed. From all outward signs, it will look as if you have been not only taken over by a more powerful country, but like God has disappeared. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God who made promises to Israel, will be gone. The God who told David in 2 Samuel 7, there will always be a son of yours to sit upon the throne in Jerusalem. This God will have vacated. He will be gone. Or at least it will seem to everyone as if he did. And so after 30 chapters of gloom and doom, <laughs> today's passage is read. In Jeremiah 33. But before we get to that passage, I want you to notice what God tells Jeremiah to do after being thrown in prison several times in chapter 32. In chapter 32, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in the tenth month, or tenth year rather, of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was in the eighteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar's rule. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court the guard of the palace of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar's knocking on the door. Just like Jeremiah had predicted for, as I said, the better part of 30 chapters. He's knocking on the door. Things look like they're really getting rough. Um, the, the gates of the city are beginning to shake. And while Jeremiah's in and out of prison for telling the people this, here's what the Lord tells him to do later on in verse 6. The word of the Lord came to me. Behold, Hamel, the son of Shalul, your uncle, will come to you and say, Buy a field that is an Anatoth, for the right of redemption of purchase is yours. Get this. The Babylonians are pounding on the door. Jeremiah is not a welcome person in anywhere. Everybody is hating him because he has been predicting this. And now God says, I want you to go buy that piece of property over there from your uncle. Who buys a piece of property when a volcano is getting ready to explode? Who would do that? What kind of nonsense is this? Go buy a piece of land? Yeah, there's this old man who lives at the foot of a volcano and he'll probably make you a good deal. Why would he do this? Why would Jeremiah listen to the word of the Lord in this case? Because, Jeremiah 33, our passage today, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. God has said, I have a promise for you. I know, I know that the Babylonians are knocking on the door. 
I know that it looks like bad days are in store for you, and in fact, they are in store for you. But guess what? I am going to raise up a righteous son of David. A rightful heir. I'm going to raise up one who is really a true son of David. And when this person comes, he will execute justice and righteousness in the land. In Jeremiah's day, one of the chief sins of the people was the way that they treated the poor. They had no concern for the poor. More than that, they actually exploited them. They, they, they used the poor and actually made opportunities to make money from them by exploiting them and making the poor poorer. I actually was at Thanksgiving dinner and sitting around talking to some uh, family and friends uh, after dinner. And, and this uh, in-law of mine told me about this guy he met who had opened these convenience stores in the poorest neighborhoods in Cincinnati. Apparently, there's a great way to make money in the poor neighborhoods by charging outrageous amounts of money for small portions of food because grocery stores don't want to open up in bad neighborhoods. And so you can move into these neighborhoods and, and open up these stores and, and people have to buy from you. And because they have to buy from you, you can take what little money they have at outrageous profit margins. This is exactly the kind of thing that goes on in Jerusalem. And this is the kind of thing that God sends an entire people into exile for. We would do well never to take advantage and exploit people's poverty to make ourselves rich. It's true, the poor will always be with us. It's true that there will always be people who are needy. And that we should always do all in our power to do good. And and at least, like the Hippocratic Oath says, for doctors... To do no harm. But Jeremiah says this is what's happening to the people. But guess what? There's someone coming. There's a ruler who's coming. A true son of David. And when this true son of David comes, he will execute justice and righteousness. And so on the eve of a great firestorm in Jerusalem, when the Babylonians are getting ready to rain fire down upon the city, take it over and lay it flat, Jeremiah sends out, finally, at long last for his people, a message of hope. That God doesn't forget his promises. That God cares for his people. And so the poor will be treated fairly. And the friendless will find a friend. And the burdens of parents and grandparents will be understood. And someone will come to rule who's worthy of our trust. Jeremiah says, on the eve of a sudden destruction that's coming to God's people, trust this. God keeps His promises. So when all hell breaks loose, know that God will keep His promises. When everything around you seems like it's going all the wrong way, know that God keeps His promises. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. The first Sunday of Advent, as we um, kind of look forward, we know the story, don't we? All of us know what's going to happen in about uh, four weeks, right? We know. uh, I imagine some of you have already been out stoking the economy, if you will, uh, early in the morning, perhaps on Friday morning. Do you know my wife, this is a a complete digression, spent the entire night, Thursday night, in Walmart. I don't know. It's just her thing. Uh, Yeah, some of you, we know what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen in, in about a month. We're going to celebrate the birth of the Messiah, Jesus. The one Jeremiah is talking about. This righteous son of David. We know, and so we know the story. But still we wait, don't we? 
We wait for the coming of the Son of God. We wait for the One who will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and whose kingdom will have no end. We know the story. We know the coming of Jesus as a baby, but we long for the coming of the reigning Savior as well. And so in our waiting, we experience a couple different things. I think for many of us, there are times when we experience the joy of God's coming kingdom in our lives. And the here and the now. A new job or a new baby. A new house to live in. Maybe a a new grandbaby comes into the family or a niece or a nephew. We plant an apple tree and, and, and guess what? Many years have gone by, but suddenly there's some apples out there on that apple tree. And it's like everything around us begins to say, God is blessing us. He's living in the here and the now. Good things are coming to those who trust in the Lord. But as we're waiting, we know that that's not always the case, is it? We also experience the assault on Jerusalem in a lot of ways. We experience sometimes what it means to lose a job or a house or a child or a grandchild. We know what it's like when when those that we love turn away from faith and reject the Lord in their lives. We know what it's like to, to face some sorts of hardship because we can't be protected from all of them. And so into this life, all of us will know what it's like to face hardship and difficulty. And when we do, we turn to the Lord and we say, Lord, where are you? Where are you in in the midst of my suffering? And here's Jeremiah's word to you in that day. Wait. Wait upon the Lord. God keeps His promises. God always keeps His promises. You can be sure of this. Even when all hell seems to be breaking loose around you, you can know that God keeps His promises. I remember, just like it was yesterday, um, my wife, uh, we had just been married a couple years, and, and we so wanted a child. And, and she says, you know, um, I think we need to get a home test. And I'm like, really? We need, yeah, we need to get one. And so we go to the pharmacy, and, and we get one, and we take it home. She goes in the restroom and does whatever it is you do with those things. And, and she comes out, and, and it was like a five-minute wait. And there's this little blue line that's supposed to appear if there's going to be a baby. And so we're waiting and we watch, you know. And you know that watch pot never boils thing? Well, a watch pregnancy test never comes true either. So we're waiting and thinking, oh, how will we know? What if it's a bad one? What if, it, you know, what? It, how? all the things that could go wrong. And there's supposed to be this little blue line that appeared. And, and we waited and we waited and we waited. And then all of a sudden it's like it just started to get just a little bit blue. And I says, is that, a, is that a line? I think it's a line. And we're looking at it, and it gets bluer and bluer. And pretty soon, it's a line. There's no question. That is definitely a line. And we jumped around in our little apartment. We danced, and we celebrated. And it was a great, great day. And we so believed the promise of that little stick <laughs> that we were going to have a baby. But that day, we went out, and, and we started shopping for furniture. And, and, and we went out that day and we started picking out paint colors. And, and Abby had a stack of books as we walked out of the department store. And, and, and we knew. We knew that promise was true. We were going to have a baby. And, and just a few months later, we waited and waited and waited. And 
watched her get bigger and bigger and bigger, and and I helped her out too. I, I decided to get a little bigger myself, and we, and we. I didn't want her to feel lonely. Um, and, and it came. This little baby boy was born into our home, five pounds, fourteen ounces, just a little dinky fella. But this promise had come true. God keeps His promises. God always keeps His promises. And Jeremiah says, even when it doesn't seem like it, you can be sure of this, we can count on the word of the Lord. Amen.